Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down the underworld of political donations, where the money is going and why it's being hidden. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start, as always, by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, some of which might be present among us. So this week we're talking about political donations, but more explicitly, how and why certain companies or organisations donate to political parties. Yeah, so the realm of political donations may be shocking to some of you and absolutely not shocking to others. But when I first learned about this all a couple of years ago, I was genuinely appalled that companies were allowed to donate to political parties at all. Because it kind of seems like common sense to me that a hugely powerful corporation giving millions to our government is a very clear action against democracy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the way I see it. Oh, I mean, like... If you see it that way, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But this just seems to fall into the category of, you know, that's just the way it is for a lot of people. You know, it's just one of those things. It's just the way it is. Um, So it's not necessarily liked, but it's accepted. I think there might be a bit of like an innocent naivety towards it or like an ignorance towards a topic, especially from people who maybe don't know much about politics or don't engage in these type of conversations, which is fine. But... um, I think it's just one of those things that it's like, oh, it doesn't really concern me. Um, But here on Australia Explained, we like to explain why it does concern you, hence why we're going to break it down for you today. So let's get started with the most basic question. Why should you, Vanessa, myself and our listeners care about political donations? So some concept learning here. Democracy is based on the idea of one person, one vote. So theoretically, you, me, any of the listeners have the same power in politics as any other Australian from Margot Robbie, Gina Reinhart, anyone that you can think of. So anybody that has listened to this podcast or pays any attention to politics knows that this isn't exactly the truth. There are lots of ways in which the wealthy are able to wield more influence and political donations is one part of that. Yeah. So by donating large sums of money, people and corporations can actually create a relationship with political parties. And you see that they'll start to be invited to meetings and galas and dinners, all that jazz. So, for example, the fossil fuel industry is estimated to gain $2,000 in subsidies for every $1 they donate, which is a wild ratio. That's a great return. I wish I could get that on something. <laughs> <laughs> every dollar. It's not even every hundred dollars. It's every dollar. Yeah, that's insane. Um, 2,000% interest, which is just crazy. <laughs> um, to put that into perspective, um, a big donator is Meriton. So it's a real estate company. So this company was privy to 18 meetings within 18 months with New South Wales Liberal ministers. So this happens across both parties, but this example is Liberal. Um, This was since COVID and I read through the list of meetings that they had and this company met with so many different ministers. So it's very clear that the kind of mateship that's established through being a big donor, because I mean, Mm. I don't think if I wanted to set up a meeting with the treasurer or the deputy premier or these 
very busy, very important public servants um, to discuss my business, they'd be too keen to give me the time of day, let alone 18 times in 18 months. Yes, yes, which is the whole point of that's why we should care about these political donations because these people are necessarily wielding an influence that we cannot get. Even though our vote is meant to be the same as theirs, it doesn't really weigh up that way. And these donations give the wealthy a platform for direct contact with politicians and they completely imbalance our democracy. So that being said, though, the argument isn't that donations should be banned entirely. Some people do argue that, but it also is understandable because campaigning for elections is really expensive. You know, you have to pay for the TV slots, the ads, the political consultants and whatnot. Yeah, and the whole idea of political advertising is another conversation. But um, it is expensive to campaign and the membership of political parties, um, so you pay to be a member of the Labour Party, the Liberal Party, etc., which is where they used to get most of their money, um, has been declining heaps in recent years. Apparently, it's just a whole bunch of old people nowadays. And (laughs) so this means that the parties rely far more on donations compared to the days where they had four times as many members and raked in all of those membership fees. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with the old school mentality around the bipartisan political system, whereas like the two traditional parties, the Liberals, the Nationals and the Labor Party had this very distinct identity. And I don't know about you, but my parents grew up like Labor is for workers and Liberals is not for workers. It's for, you know, the blue collar. So I think the whole disillusionment of that and the breakdown of those traditional values of the party means that you're not getting as many members because people are starting to find different parties more independent parties for example the rise of the greens or anything like that that might align more with their personal values so that's why you see membership rates dropping and so the revenue coming from those memberships as well dropping and so the argument is that political donations um, should be regulated and most importantly they should be transparent so we should know if a corporation is donating big bucks um, and whose pockets the money is being passed through as well. So what is the current concern with how we handle political donations then? So this issue has popped up in the media in the past couple of weeks because the Australian Electoral Commission, who runs all the elections and all the voting, they released a bunch of data about political donations over the past year But here's the kick. Uh, Not all the data is made available to the public. So some donors are kept hidden under a law that has been mutually agreed to by both the Liberal and Labor parties. This law states that any donations of under $14,300 do not have to be declared. Yeah, which you might think, you know, fair enough, $15,000 isn't that much in the context. However, this has been used as a loophole to hide donors who can make numerous donations under that value to avoid being named. Like, for example, you donate $14,200 50 times and donate huge amounts of money without ever being suspected. Um, And yeah, this loophole has been well utilized. So over a third of all donations fall into this category. And to be noted, these donations obviously do include everyday Australians, like, you know, your grandma that might donate $100 to the Liberal Party. But a third of all donations is millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I think it's safe to assume that's not all small local donations by normal people. Yeah, it's not just coming from our pockets. 
And a Guardian analysis suggests that last year, the Liberal Party received about $22 million from unknown sources. So that's about 38% of its total income, whilst the Labor Party received $15 million or 27% of its total income. So this fits within a broader trend over the past two decades for which almost 39% of coalition funds are what we call dark money and 27% for labor, you know, dark money, meaning these donations that come from unknown sources or undeclared sources. And this Guardian analysis found that the 2018 to 19 election year was a record, both for the total money received by political parties and for dark money that we don't know where it came from. Yeah, so you can see that it is an issue across both the parties, although the Liberal Party's percentage is a little bit higher. It's definitely there in a big way, both parties. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the donations that we can see, corporate money obviously dominates. So with all half of all federal political donations over the past year came from just five groups, and that includes companies like Visi and the Australian Hotels Association. And most of them donate to both parties. So they're not particularly strong-leaning in either way they're just ensuring that they have some influence yeah and i was looking through a list of like political donations earlier today and you can see that some companies will donate the exact same amount to both like parties just to have an influence in in their policy decisions um also made me think about the australian hotels association perhaps why hotel quarantine was a big suggestion for you know returning COVID cases and you know obviously with the hotel quarantine slip up in Victoria there was this whole inquiry about why these hotels were chosen you know why personnel personal security etc and so you really start to understand the decision making behind all these processes now yeah for sure I actually saw a tweet um, about the hotel quarantine thing and I was tempted to put it on the Instagram story but it was a bit speculative so I thought, I'll wait. But I fully suspect that in a couple months' time, um, those claims will be substantiated. Yeah. Can we also quickly mention how rogue it is that Vizzy is, like, so high on the list? Yeah, it's so weird. The owner of Vizzy has all these photos with Scott Morrison and Donald Trump. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know recycling was so lucrative. I guess people need their bins. Like, where, when you think about it, who doesn't have a Vizzy recycling bin in their school, in their workplace? Like, a lot of sense actually getting back from our tangent the largest single donor is billionaire mining magnate clive palmer's mineralogy which gave 5.9 million dollars to his own united australia party ahead of the queensland election now clive palmer only got 0.6 percent of the vote in this election but clive's strategy in pouring money into the elections and you know in 2019 he poured 83 million is to win preferencing votes for Liberal. So this isn't speculation, but it's something he has actually confirmed. At least he's honest. <laughs> <laughs> Very. <laughs> like, yeah, I did it. Um, and Palmer's donations have been a really big talking point and a bit of a symbol for what's wrong with political donations. Given, number one, their size, we mentioned um, those huge numbers, $83 million in the 2019 election. And at number two, the fact that he donates regularly both to his own party and to the coalition. Yeah. Labor Labor has used his donations to propose a cap on political donations. So while the coalition has a different approach and we'll quote the deputy nationals leader in saying, 
individuals last time I looked in Australia were free to do what they like within the confines of the law. What he chooses to do with his money, talking about Clive Palmer, is his business so as long as it's a lawful thing. Which is very true, but at the same time sort of assumes that the law is always just and right and not open to change. So I find that perspective a little bit silly. Because, mm. for example, take us back to 1980, a politician could be saying, ah, well, last time I checked, we're free to do what we like within the confines of the law while talking about a husband sexually assaulting his wife before marital rape was illegal. Like, not cool. The law is open to interpretation and, like, it's supposed to be changed sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And another loophole that's used, and this information comes from an electoral law expert at the University of Queensland, is that political parties set up companies or trusts to launder money through them. So take, for example, the McCormack Foundation. It's one of the Liberal Party's biggest donors, and it's controlled by senior party figures in Melbourne, but it doesn't even have its own website. It's it's very sus. Parties use structures like this to accept donations as the McCormack Foundation but these donations that don't need to be disclosed and then directly donating to their own party. So it's very sus, especially considering that the McCormack Foundation, or supposedly in quotation marks, has donated over $60 million to the Liberal Party in the past 20 years. A foundation that does nothing except for donate money to the Liberal Party. Must be a charitable cause. Okay, so how does all of this fare between the, the political parties? Yeah, so we mentioned Labor recently considered a cap on political donations. In 2019, they also tried to have the amount at which donations have to be declared reduced to 1,000. Um, with little luck, it wasn't passed. But they now have a personal party policy of disclose, disclosing all donations over this amount, which is a step in the right direction. So we talked about those stats for last year. Probably moving forward, um, the next year, the stats will be very different. A lot less dark money in the Labor Party. Yeah, the coalition have no policy we could find on this issue. And judging by that earlier comment mentioned from the Deputy Nationals leader, they seem to have no problem with the current political donation system. So given Labor's new policy of disclosing their donations over $1,000, the coalition will be the only major party moving forward to have huge chunks of dark money where we don't know where it's coming from. Which is why I think this conversation is quite important because if they're the only party left, um, pressure from the public will force them to change that policy. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, they're on their own at this point. And Mm -hmm. the Greens are the only major party proposing, um, like, real reform. But it should be noted that similar efforts are being made by minor parties, such as the Jackie Lambie Network, who I silently just love Jackie Lambie. She's just become into this, like, democratic queen all of a sudden. She's, like, fighting for the rights of the people. We we have differing views on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's definitely a person of one of the people, and that's what I love about her. Um. Where was I? The Greens. Yes, so they want to ban those that are bidding for government work from being able to donate to political parties, which makes so much sense because Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get a job from the government, why should you be able to bribe them? Yeah, it's essentially a bribe, yeah. It's essentially a bribe. Um, They want to cap donations at 1,000 flat, 
um, and make all data regarding meetings um, that donors have with politicians public and accessible. For example, those meetings we talked about with Meriton, they want it to be public, what was discussed, what was decided, etc. Yeah. In late 2020, when the country's media cycle was completely busy with the end of Melbourne's lockdown, the Queensland election, and also the United States election, the Labor and Liberal parties actually co-passed a law to stop Queensland from limiting the political donations their parties could receive. So so both Labor and Liberal said, no, Queensland, you cannot stop the political donations, which is so odd. <laughs> it's very ridiculous and it makes you wonder, like, what are you protecting? Yeah. Because at this point... Queensland had limited donations from real estate companies purposefully because they didn't want too much influence um, in how the government was treating real estate. And the federal government took notice and literally said, nope, can't do that. Not allowing you to improve your political donation <laughs> system. Real estate companies, feel free to ignore that. <laughs> Just and Yeah, and like you said, it does make you think, why are we protecting the real estate industry? What sort of property is the government looking into? And all these sort of questions start to arise. So in the midst of the pandemic, the two major parties specifically took the time to override a real significant attempt at progress in this area. And quite frankly, it's it's disgusting, you know, and all the minor parties and independents agreed on this point. Why should we have the major parties stop any real chance of reform? On that note also, um, we said that this happened in when the media cycle was very busy with other things. We'll include a link in the bio, but we know of an account that started posting um, when Parliament speaks every week or so exactly what they're discussing and what gets passed and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, and it's an Instagram page. So we'll include that in the bio if you are interested in keeping up to date with that sort of stuff um, because a lot of the time we're not informed in the mainstream media about what's actually happening. Yeah, and a lot of the time these important events in parliament are often ignored due to saturation for other things or you know if a negative if a law that might be perceived as negative is passed you'll often find some good news covering it which is something we discussed on our instagram stories recently so a lot of reasons why you might not hear about these laws being passed um, but we'll make sure to keep you up to speed with that so how can we make this political donation system better There has been a lot of reform discussed, but not much enacted, unfortunately. So in 2018, Liberal and Labor agreed to ban foreign donations, which we can all agree is a great thing. Um, So if you've listened to our China episode, you'll know that we're starting to um, want to produce more things in Australia and be more Australia-centric. But there's more that can be done. So there's an organization called the Center for Public Integrity that we've gotten a lot of our information from today, and they list a fair few reforms that can actually improve the transparency of our political donation system. And they're calling for reform before the next election, which is it at the end of this year? No, no next year. So um, so firstly, they want to strengthen the resources and powers of the Australian Electoral Commission, the um, organization that runs all the voting. So last year, a study was done that found the AEC wasn't doing enough to enforce the laws that already exist. So they weren't keeping the proper records, they were allowing donors to submit documents late, and they weren't even making enough effort to check that the information they received was accurate. So perhaps an overhaul of the way they do things, 
a greater amount of resources combined with laws that penalise them if they don't do their jobs will make a difference. Yeah, maybe. Secondly, they want the threshold of donations declared reduced from $14,000 to $1,000, which seems to be this key number that we keep hearing. And any aggregate donations over $3,000 over three years, which means if you donate $1,000 three times, um, you'll have to declare that, though all those payments. So that closes that loophole once and for all of constantly donating the amount that's just under the declaration threshold, um, but having to do that multiple times. So they're saying if the total of all your donations is over $3,000 over three years, you now have to declare that. Um, In essence, for example, if granddad wants to donate $200 to the Labor Party, he doesn't have to fill out a billion declaration forms. But if the head of ANZ, the bank, wants to slip $28,000 to the Liberal Party, it makes it a bit harder than just making two anonymous donations under $14,000. So it's keeping them accountable and it's, yeah, closing that loophole. Yeah, which sounds great. And thirdly, they want a real-time disclosure system. So some background on this, Queensland already has it. So the donation data is available to the public straight away. Someone donates, it goes on an online database and you can see it immediately. Um, all the other states and territories have it, so it comes on the database within one to two, one to three weeks. Sorry. Um, federally, however, this period is up to a year. And to explain why this is a problem, um, if you consider how it fits in with election timeframes, um, while for the Queensland election last year, Queenslanders were able to see what big money was likely to play a role for the prospective parties right up until the minute they entered the polls. But for the federal election in 2019, we only got to read up on what donations happened in its lead up a year later in May 2020. So it's not exactly transparent. Yeah, and we discussed this in our feds versus state episode about like the separation of powers and the different laws that come under like federal laws and state laws. And this seems to be another instance of federal law is completely different to state law and it causes this massive I guess, confusion and, you know, the election timelines as well um, can get muddled up. So I think um, what they're trying to propose is one common law across the whole country, um, just so it is streamlined and totally transparent. But lucky last, the Centre for Public Integrity suggests that there should be a cap on donation amounts. So most of the states do have this. And once again, it's another area that the federal government lags behind. So donations over $1 million made up for 30% of donations since 1999, but these were only from 0.6% of donors, which is a clear power imbalance and a clear indicator of who is actually donating all these millions and millions of dollars. Um, So capping this donation amount would stop big companies in being able to yield significant influence as they can currently. Yeah, this episode is on one aspect of corruption, but there are so many that we'd love to delve into further if you guys have enjoyed this episode so far. I mean, we haven't even gotten near how the government spend that money, like handing out overpriced contracts to their friends, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, trick the system to benefit themselves, like the MP that literally forged documents to claim travel expenses and is still a practicing MP. 
or receive donations unofficially? Like, do you think that it's odd that no mining companies made this list? Because I definitely did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, so there's lots to, un- to unpack here, but this is one aspect um, of corruption that's really important, really interesting. So let us know. We'll see if we can cover more. All right, and now it's time for our recommendation so our listeners can learn a little bit more about the issue. Vanessa, what have you got for us today? So my recommendation is from the Centre of Public Integrity, the organisation we spoke about earlier, and they have a page on their website that's called Media Releases, and it basically has all the articles that reference their work. So if you are interested in this topic, you can have a look, and it's articles from all different publications, the ABC, the Guardian, Sydney Morning Herald, Sydney Morning Herald, etc. And it's all on this topic, and it's you know it's all um, referencing genuine research. So yeah. it's a good inquiry point. Yeah, nice. Mine is a video segment from the ABC show Q and A. If you're not familiar with it, each week Q and A brings different political figures, social figures on the show, and they have good heated discussions about real issues. It's it's a really entertaining watch. Now, this video that I'm recommending, it is from 2016, and it does refer to international donations, which have now been outlawed, Um, but it's still very relevant to the current discussion that we've had. Um, In this video, a lot of good points are being raised about the need for a common law to political donations across the whole country, because, you know, at the moment, our federal law and state law is different. And then there's also some discussion about preferring crowdfunding from members over corporate donations. So where should we if parties are to receive donations, where should those donations come from? So it's an interesting watch um, and you can just kick your feet back and, and sit back and watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it from us today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think, of course. We're always interested to hear your thoughts. And in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram at Australia Explained Pod. All the links, recommendations, etc. are in the show notes for you to check out. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.